Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Well, hey, we're going to continue our sermon series uh, this morning called A Church in Revival. Have you enjoyed it so far? This will be our fourth week of this mini sermon series called A Church in Revival. And it's, it's been from 1 Corinthians, of course. And we're reading letters from the Apostle Paul to a church that he planted and is pastor of. And he, as we know, has been bringing not only love, but quite a bit of correction to a church that is very spiritually developed, but really needs to grow in their character. They need to become more mature. They need to become more holy. They need to become more um, organized. And I know that's kind of like a cuss word in the charismatic church, but that's what Paul is suggesting to Corinth. He's like, look, you guys got a lot of things going well for you. I mean, like your preaching ministry is on point. Your worship is always dialed in. You guys do fire tunnels better than any prayer team has ever done them. Like you've got Altoids for all the people who pray. (laughs) Hallelujah. Your modesty cloths go down just at the right time. Y'all don't know nothing about modesty cloths. I grew up in a holiness Pentecostal church. It didn't matter if you were male or female. If you went out, you were getting a modesty cloth. If you lay there long enough, somebody with a flag will come over and just drape it over your face. (laughs) Hallelujah. Touch him, Lord. (laughs) See, y'all didn't grow up like me, I can tell. But but Paul's writing to the church. He's like, man, you guys are doing awesome, but let's drill down deep and let's dig into the character. Let's dig into the organization. Let's dig into um, maturity. And so... um, I read through 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this week, and I, I, I read it through, and I made 16 pages of notes. And uh, as you guys know, throughout this whole series, I've basically just been going verse by verse by verse and talking about uh, what each verse has to say to us as a church in revival. And when I did that this week, I put these 16 pages together, and I had 16 pages of notes, but no message. I'm letting you into the plight of being a preacher sometimes. I'm like, Lord, this chapter is pretty basic. <laughs> well, what's the revelation? Like, so go ahead, open your Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to read it to you. And I felt like God gave me um, a specific word that Paul would give to strengthen us, a church in revival. But when I shared it in first service, I don't know if it was like one of those messages that everybody was already aware of. But I don't know if like, I don't know what happened. Everybody was like, yeah, we know this already. (laughs) So maybe that's why everybody was quiet, you know. My wife always shouts me down from the front row. (laughs) It's true. Um, But I remember one time I was praying. I was on a prayer walk and I was asking God for revelation. I was like, Lord, what's the revelation you want me to preach this Sunday? And he said to me, You don't need as much revelation as you think you do. Sometimes you just need to be reminded. So for some of you in the room, this might not be any revelation, but it will serve as a biblical reminder for how to handle a situation that Paul found himself in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, okay? So we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 4 all together, and um, I'll do my best to, you know, be theatrical or dramatic so that it's... (laughs) bit more fun. Okay, so let's stand up together. We're going to read the whole chapter. That's right, church. We're staying in this Bible study posture here. First Corinthians chapter four. If you're there, say I'm there. there. All right, let's read it together. Verse one says this. This is how one should regard us. And what Paul really means is this is how one should regard me. As an apostle, as God's man of power for the hour, Are y'all reading the same book? That's not what he says. He says, as servants, everybody say, I'm a servant servant. of Christ and stewards. 
stewards. Everybody say, I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. Now, if you were here for the second installment, you know exactly what that word mysteries mean. It means testimonies. It means truth. And so here is what Paul is saying about himself as well as what Paul is saying about you is that you are a servant to people and you are a steward of truth. So everybody say, I'm a servant and I'm a steward. You are a servant to people and you are a steward of truth. Verse two, moreover, it is required. Everybody say required. required. Of stewards that they be found faithful. He's talking about you. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Everybody say motives. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written. What's he talking about there? If I say the scripture, that's right. To be a good leader, we have to remember that we have guidance in the scriptures, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? Now that's good right there, church. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? (laughs) Anything that we have is a result of our reception of God's grace and goodness. Amen. Man, God's been good to us. Now, I want you to see here in verse 8, Paul has been sharing his heart, and now he moves into expressing his humanity. Like, Paul's about to get a little bit emotional, okay? So you have to read some sarcasm into the text, especially right here. Already you have all you want, don't you, church? I don't want that to be said about me, that I have all I want. What about you? No, I want more. I don't want my pastor saying, oh, you've got all you want. Oh, so you guys have all you want, huh? Already you have become rich, huh? Without us, you have become kings, huh? Are you you reading the same scripture here? See, at Corinth, that's the birthplace of Stoicism, and the Stoics would regard one another as kings. And so Paul's actually a little, it's a little jab right there under the ribs. You know what I'm saying? He's like getting a kidney shot. Oh, so you're a king now, huh? Bow. Oh, so you're rich now. Bow. Oh, so you got all you want now. Bow. So you don't need no pastor anymore. Bow. Oh, so you're a spiritual know-it-all now. Bow. <laughs> That's what he's doing. And he says, I wish you were a king. And that you did reign, so that we might share the rule with you. (laughs) Verse 9, he's like, after all, I'm only an apostle. (laughs) You got to catch Paul's humanity in this. He goes on, verse 9. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death. Because we have become a spectacle, and that's not good to the world, to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you, you Corinth, obviously, you're wise in Christ. Huh. We are weak, but you are strong. Huh. You guys catching it? You are held in honor, but we disrepute. Huh. To the present hour, we hunger, we thirst, we're poorly dressed, we're buffeted. That means we get beat up. 
and we're homeless and we labor. We work with our own two hands. When we're reviled, we bless. That means when people talk bad about us, we bless them in return. When we're persecuted, we endure it. Verse 13, when we're slandered, we entreat. I mean, Paul's saying, I bless people who lie on me. My God. Verse 13, we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. He's saying, I am the garbage of the earth. Now he shifts back into his heart here and you see Paul's love for the church at Corinth. And he said, I'm not writing these things to shame you but to admonish you, to build you up, because you are my beloved children, Corinth. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I'm your father, Corinth. I'm your father. I love you. I know you're standing, but let me just point this out real quick. So when he says you have countless guides in Christ, like one translation says, you have 10,000 teachers. Y'all ever read that before? Whenever he says you have 10,000 teachers, what he's saying is, it's kind of like my son when he's like, you have a bajillion teachers. It's not a real number, all right? It's not accurate. He didn't count. He's embellishing. He's being sarcastic. He's like, so you got like a bazillion teachers, huh? But I, I'm your father. The, the word there, the word teacher or guide is the Greek word Piagogos. I think I'm getting it wrong. I'm probably mispronouncing, but it's something along the lines of like Piagogos. You know what it means? It's a male nanny, which I think is hilarious. He's like, yo, Corinth, I'm not your manny. I'm your daddy. Huh. And I like that. You got all these guides in Christ. You don't have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus. How? Through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent to you Timothy, another child, beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in the church, which is what he refers to earlier about how he was teaching Apollos and other elders to behave, to lead the church that he had planted. So some of this is a leadership message. Are you still with me? I know you're standing. We're almost done. But he says, as I teach them everywhere in the church, and some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out. Not the talk, 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 of these arrogant people, but I will find out their spiritual power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in opinions, but in power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in debates, but in power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in man's philosophy, but in power. What do you wish then? Corinth, shall I come to you with a rod? Or shall I come to you with love and a spirit of gentleness? So the title of the message today is simply this, an apostolic response to accusation. An apostolic response to accusation. Lord, we just say thank you for teaching us how to respond to betrayal. Jesus, you are the premier example of what it looks like to turn the other cheek. And Lord, as we talk about the truth you'd have for us today, God, I pray that you would give us a holy perspective on how to respond to people betraying us and being mean to us and lying on us and gossiping about us in the same way that the Apostle Paul responded to the brothers and sisters at the church he planted in Corinth. We bless you today, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen, amen. On your way to your seat, ask somebody, do you know how to deal with betrayal? Hey. Yeah, that got you going right there. That got you going right there. 
Deep cuts. Deep cuts today, fam. Deep cuts. Deep cuts. All right. So I think you understood the context by us reading the entire chapter. Did you get the context? So basically, the Apostle Paul, the church planter, uh, the pastor, he's writing back to a church that he planted because there's a bunch of people in the house that are now making statements about Paul that are not true. They're saying things like, this dude ain't never coming back. I know he said he was our pastor, but he doesn't actually love us. I don't think he's actually powerful. I don't think he's actually an apostle. I don't think he's actually a man of God. I don't think that any of the claims that he's made about himself are actually true. I don't even know if he's heard from God. I don't even think he's actually gifted in the prophetic. I don't think he's really called. Are you, are you getting the picture, right? And so they're talking bad about this man of God. And he's writing a letter back to the people who've been talking bad about him. And he's saying, hey, I'm about to show up. So I'm going to go ahead and write to you now because I'm going to talk to you about how I'm dealing with your accusations. And when I show up, I'm going to figure out who actually has spiritual power and holy character and who's actually just arrogant and has been talking about me. And as the pastor, I'm going to come in one way or the other and I'll let you decide, do I come with that rod of correction? Or do I come with that love and that spirit of gentleness? Because a father will do both depending on the situation. Right? Every now and then, we need our bell rung. (laughs) Every now and then, we do. Agreed or no? Every now and then. So, So Paul... He, he's dealing with these accusations. And so when I read the scripture this week and I put, you know, I, I, I had the like 16 pages of notes. I was like, what do, what, do, what, do I, what do I deal with? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to talk to people who are wrestling through accusation. I want you to talk to the people in the room who are wrestling through betrayal. I'm talking about people who've been broken up with. I'm talking about people who've been lied on. I'm talking about people who've been gossiped about. I'm talking about people who have suffered the wrath of some anonymous person on Facebook going nuts on you in your timeline and you pretending like it doesn't hurt, but when you go to bed at night, you're getting all in your feels like, I can't believe they said that about me. Those people must be over here on this side. But if you know what I'm talking about, can I hear two good amens? Because like Paul, I can tell you as a pastor, there are moments in which you feel like the very people that you've been assigned to serve are the very people punching you in the face and stabbing you in the back. And you're like, dude, I'm just trying to feed you. Stop biting my hand. (laughs) If I could tell you as a pastor, the number of people that we have like loved and served and prayed over and fought for and did everything that we could for only to have them on the way out the door malign us and talk bad about us and lie on us and go spread rumors about us and say, oh, you're never, you're not a man of God. You're not gifted. You were never my pastor. You're the worst. Yeah, I know what that feels like. And if you're a parent in the room, you know what that feels like too. Because every now and then you, you look at your kids and even if you don't say it out loud, you're like, I can't believe that you would treat me like this. I made you Cheerios every morning. I wiped your butt three or four times a day. I made up your bed. I ran your baths. I put your towels in the dryer while you were in the bath so that when you got out, it would be warm. Like I made you milkshakes by hand. You know what I'm talking about? The crazy things we do for our kids only for them to grow up, turn their back on us, talk bad about us, leave the house and go do whatever it is that they think they want to do. Oh, so that's just my story. Okay. So um, this is how I know that this message, it's for leaders in the room. It's for pastors in the room. If you're watching online and you're a leader of a church, this is for you. It's for parents in the room. And it's really just for anybody that's gone through betrayal, anybody who's gone through accusation. So I want to talk to us a little bit this morning about how to respond to accusation. How do you respond to gossip? And how do you respond to betrayal in your life? When you have these experiences, the Apostle Paul has truth for us on how we should respond. So let's look at it scripture by scripture. So we're looking at Paul's heart. Verse 1. Verse 1 says this. This is how one should regard us as the servants of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Everybody say the word trustworthy. 
Because that's what that word right there, faithful, means in the Greek. It means faithful. It means trustworthy. It means believed in. And this is the requirement of God that we as Christians are all to be found as two things, servants of people and stewards of truth. I don't care how long you've been walking with Jesus, how long you've considered yourself to be a Christian, you are called by God to be a servant to humanity and you are called by God to be a steward of God's word. That's who you are. That's who you are. Now, I don't know about you, but when I feel betrayed, you know what I uh, have a tendency to do? Shut down my calling. I'm headed for the hills. Screw those people. Yeah, all right. So I'm just being honest. Can I give you some live feed into my prayer closet? They can pastor themselves. (laughs) This usually happens on Monday morning. I don't know why, for whatever reason, it's just Monday morning. It's like, I'm sick of this. I'm exhausted. People are not grateful. Yeah, okay. See, this is what first service did too. I just don't know. I don't know. It's not going anywhere. But it's like, when you are betrayed, when you're talked about, when you're lied upon, what do you have a tendency to do? Forget it. I ain't going back to church. Forget it. I ain't even going to be a leader anymore. Forget it. I ain't even going to serve anymore. Forget it. I ain't even going to post about God anymore. I'm tired of people sliding in the DMs and like going nuts on me for my post from the Bible. Forget it. I am done with my calling. I am done with my anointing. I am done with my prophetic words because this is causing too much pain in my life. So I'm going to shut all that down and I'm going to move forward in a different career path. Forget them. So, so anybody else, have you like, yeah, I'm done with that, man. That mess is too hard. So that's why Paul is writing not only to remind the church at Corinth of who he is, but he's also writing to remind himself of his own identity. And this is important. Whenever you are going through accusation, gossip, and betrayal, you need to be reminded of who God says that you are. Because if you will allow the accusation to have authority over you, you will end up shutting down your calling, you will end up turning off your anointing, and then you'll begin to move in a direction that God never called you to go only because of the accusation of somebody whose heart wasn't in alignment with God's. So Paul's like, hey, hold on, before we get started here, Let's just remember who I am. I ain't your Manny. (laughs) I'm your daddy. I am a servant of people and I am a steward of truth. Now, lest we think that it's optional that we as Christians are servants to people and stewards of truth. Look at verse two up there. Or it's it's the same one there. Moreover, it is, y'all say that word with me, required. We cannot forget that as Christians, God has given us a requirement that we are supposed to stay faithful to, no matter the cost, no matter the words, no matter the rumors, no matter the gossip. It does not matter who says what about you. You must remember that you have been called. You must remember that you're a a servant and you're a steward. And I I was thinking this week about that um, passage in Romans 11.29, and I, I pulled up the King James because that's how I heard it as a child so often. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. Listen, God is not up in heaven repenting that he ever gave you gifts. That's what that scripture is telling you. God has called you, and he's not ashamed of you. Even when you go through the hard times, he's not thinking, man... I regret calling this dude to preach. He's such a sissy. No, the gifts of God and the calling of God are without repentance. You have talents that God has given you and God says he requires you. Let me say it again. And God says that he requires you to be faithful with those talents. He requires you to be faithful with those gifts. He requires you to be faithful to your calling no matter who says what about you. So I don't know what you've been told recently, man of God. I don't know what has been said about you recently, woman of God, but you are blessed. You are highly favored. You are gifted. You are talented. You are called. You are a servant to people and you're an anointed one. You are a steward of truth and you are an anointed one. That is who you are and don't forget it. Remind yourself, remind your accusers and remind every demon in hell. It doesn't matter what you got to say about me. I know what God has has had to say about me. I'm a servant of people and a steward of truth, bless God. Get thee behind me, Satan. 
I know who I am. So that's point one. Despite your opposition, never forget your identity. It's the first step. When you find yourself accused, here's what I can guarantee is going to come along with the accusation. A seed, the enemy will attempt to sow a seed to get you to doubt who God says that you are. Right? He started doing that in the garden, Genesis chapter 1, right? Right from the beginning. The fall of man, right? The serpent was like, did God really say? You guys remember that, right? Let me see it again in Matthew through the temptations of Christ. Did God really say you were the son of God? Because if you were really the son of God, if you really had the identity that you claim that you have, then you would go ahead and turn that stone into bread. But that's always the case. When we receive accusation, it's never just an accusation on our actions. The enemy's trying to go deeper than that. He wants to get us to doubt our identity, and we cannot do that. God gave us our identity. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. God's not regretting that he's called you, and he will continue to work through you until everything he's called you to do is completed. Amen? Amen. So number one, how do you deal with accusation? Despite your opposition. You guys taking notes? Never forget your identity. That's number one. All right, let's read verse 3 and 4. First, first Corinthians uh, 4, verse 3 and 4. But with me, it's a very small thing. <laughs> Man, Paul, Paul's kind of smart aleck every now and then. I wish I was more like Paul. Uh, that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Now, I, I want to point out something real quick because um, Paul says, look, I don't even judge myself. You know why? Because my conscience is clear. I'm not aware of anything I'm doing wrong. But he also goes on to say, that doesn't mean I'm not doing anything wrong. Right? Paul's coming with that humility, man. I mean, look, we're learning. Are you, are you learning this morning? We're learning how to respond to accus- accusation. Paul's coming out. He's like, look, I haven't done anything wrong to you, but that doesn't make me innocent. Because I don't think I've done anything wrong, but it's not up to me to decide. I don't judge myself. I know that God is my judge, which is why, backing up, he's able to say, it is a very small thing to be judged by you. Now, I looked that up in the Greek. Guess what small thing translated out means? It's very cool. I care this much. <laughs> I can just see Paul. <laughs> you know how much I care about your opinion? <laughs> you ought to do that next time you're in front of the computer and somebody says something nasty about you online. Just I don't care about your opinion. You know why? Because I don't have to care about your opinion. You know why? Because your opinion doesn't actually really matter. You know what? My own opinion of myself doesn't actually matter. The opinion that matters most in my life is the opinion of God. And this is who God says that I am. I'm a servant. I'm a steward. God's word in my life is big. Man's opinion in my life must stay small. That's what we must do. We must pay more attention to the word of God over your life than the opinions of men about your life. That is who has the power to shape us. He's reminding himself like, hey, in chapter two, I don't know if you guys remember this or chapter three last week, he said, uh, I'm a servant. I'm nothing. It's good to stay that humble. It's good to maintain this heart because what I've noticed is, is that ego, ego is kind of like a balloon. You know, Paul talks about being puffed up. I think about a balloon being blown up, right? Ego's like a balloon. The more puffed up you are, the easier to get popped. I just noticed this. The most arrogant people I've met seem to be the most sensitive people that I meet. (laughs) Like they love dishing it out. But if you ever say, hey, um, yo, I think you're out of line. It's just, they just fall through the floor, right? And I've just no, I've noticed that. That's why I think that Paul is staying very low. And I think that's why Paul is encouraging us, hey, keep your ego low 
uh, stay humble because when you're full of yourself, you're fragile. Right? So stay nothing. Stay nothing in your own eyes. Stay a servant and stay a steward. So here's point two. Remember, remember whose opinion of you actually matters. God and God alone. That's the only person. That is the only person. No human being has enough authority to tell you who you are and to judge your faithfulness unto the Lord. Nobody, no human, no matter how righteous, no matter how pure their motives, no human being has complete authority to judge your faithfulness to God. Now, they may have plenty of opinions, but that does not mean that they have ample authority. Does not mean that. So remember, number two is remember whose opinion actually matters. Let's go, look, go back. When you're being accused, number one is this, despite your opposition, never forget your identity. Despite your opposition, never forget your identity. Number two is this, remember whose opinion actually matters. That is God's. Now, I know that a lot of people believe that they have the ability to assess your faithfulness, but they do not. It's crazy to me. Some people claim to be prophetic. I think they're just suspicious. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about. Well, you're not this, and you're not that, and you're not this, and you're not good enough, and you don't measure up. You know, whenever people start telling me what I'm not, what I'm not, I know that's not the word of God over my life. <laughs> Hey, hey, let me stop you right there. Uh, I don't receive this. This is not prophetic. You're being suspicious. Only God can assess faithfulness because it's only God that sees men's hearts. Uh, Look at 1 Samuel 16 and 11. For the Lord sees as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. Man looks at the Instagram feed. Man looks at the pictures that I post online and they, oh, he must be out of alignment with God. Look at those pictures he's posted. He must have forgotten about his calling. Looks like his anointing is starting to slip. We got to be careful with stuff like that, church. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but where does the Lord look? The Lord looks at the heart. Man's scorecard does not matter when it comes to your faithfulness towards God. You cannot give men and the opinions of men that much authority. By the way, Galatians chapter 6 verse 4, another uh, writing from the Apostle Paul. He says, but let each one test his own work. Get out of my business and look at your own. Right? Before you come, you know, for that speck in my eye, get the plank out of yours first. Mind your own business. Why are you always sitting up somewhere trying to judge somebody else? (laughs) I've lost you at this point, haven't I? I'm telling you, man, that's, that's the thing. It's like super opinionated people. I'm like, you know what would be helpful for them? If they'd get it as opinionated about themselves as they are about other people. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So when you're wondering how you're doing as a leader, can I just give you permission? When you're wondering how you're doing in life, when you're wondering like how, how faithful, uh, don't seek your critics, seek God. You're not as bad as anybody has said about you. And guess what? You're not as good as anybody has said about you either. So don't get deflated, but don't get inflated. Your opinion is not the best, neither is men's. The opinion of God is the opinion that matters in your life. Let's go on to verse 4 and 5. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5 says, My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. It, this is a good truth to remember, isn't it? The Lord judges my faithfulness. Nobody else. The Lord judges how I've responded to my calling. Nobody else. The Lord judges my character, ultimately. Nobody else. The Lord judges how I've honored God's word in my life. Nobody else. That's what Paul's reminding himself of and Corinthians. He says, therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive 
his commendation from God. I love that. It tells me that, you know, God's wisdom, tie it back to the Old Testament, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks upon the heart. The Lord's always been looking at hearts. Not what you build with your hands. It's, it's, it's great when that honors him and it's faithful to his word in your life, but ultimately, you know where he's looking? Right here. Jeremiah said the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro the earth, not for hands that are completely his to do the work of ministry, but the heart that completely belongs to God, that's completely surrendered and vulnerable before the Lord and says, look, God, I'm not, I'm just here with open hands. I'm just here with an open heart. God, I want to do whatever you ask me to do. It doesn't matter what it means. I could be digging ditches. I could be preaching the gospel. I could be a missionary. I should, I could be a faithful husband. I could be an awesome mom. You know, I could go to the nation. It doesn't matter. Success is obedience to God. That's it. That's what he's looking at. What does God ask you to do? He's looking at that. And that's what Paul's saying. Remember, God's the judge. And this is point three. Let God be judge. You just be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful. I think of this, I think of this point often uh, through this scripture here, Exodus 14, 14. The Bible says, the Lord, your God, will fight for you, and all you have to do is be silent. Whenever I respond to accusation like this, zip my lip, it releases the power of God to fight on my behalf. I think one of the reasons why we don't sense God fighting our battles for us is because we're trying to fight them in our own strength by talking, talking, gossiping. I mean, somebody will toss a grenade into our feed. We'll pick it up and toss one right back. Well, okay. So you got something to say. Okay, you about to feel the wrath. <laughs> oh, I know I'm talking to some people in here. Hello, Enneagram 8s. You know, let me talk to you for a second. Every now and then, you just need to be quiet. Let God fight your battles for you. Zip your lips. I'm telling you the truth, man. You don't have to respond to every insult with another insult. Listen, if you've got that I told you so anointing, you might need deliverance. Every now and then, I'm telling you, it's just something like, calm down. Let God fight your battles for you. When you get engaged and try to fight your battles all by yourself, you might win, but you'll still look bad and you'll lose leadership equity in people's life. You'll disqualify yourself from ministry eventually and you'll end up looking like somebody that, 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 that you're not. Does that make sense to you? If I, if I responded every time that somebody said something bad about me, I would never get off social media. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. There have been people on, you know, socials is one thing. Who cares? Whatever. You, you're small. Or I'm doing the Paul thing. Small opinions. But like, as a pastor, man, like there have been times like people have left our church and they have been so mean to us out the door. I'm telling you guys, if I had time, which I don't, and I wouldn't do it publicly, but like the amount of things that have been said about my wife and I that were absolute lies. I mean, just terrible things about our character that were not true. The accusations that, that came against us that were absolutely untrue. I mean, I'm talking completely fabricated. And then they would go around to people in the church. As you know, Pastor Lyle, Alice, they're terrible. This is what they did to me. Here's what they did to me. Here's what was said. Here's what we, and we're like, we never said that. We never did that. In fact, we did the opposite of that. What are you? And we get to hear about it from this person and that person and this person and that person. And you know what we wanted to do? Oh, man, I was about to put the war paint on. You know, it's one thing you talk about me. You talk about my wife. Okay, bro. We're going to see. You know, it's like, yeah. Okay. Okay, why don't you meet me at the coffee shop? You know what I'm saying? And like, I'm on the way to the coffee shop. I'm listening to gangster rap. I'm like, I lean my seat back a little bit. I'm like, we're going to see. We're going to see. Like, I'm, I mean, I'm ready. 
about to be some five-fold ministry. <laughs> but there's some moments when you feel like that. Seriously, there are moments, man, and I, I can tell you, I have driven to coffee appointments somewhat similar to that, and then the Holy Spirit whispers in my ear as I'm pulling into the parking lot, would you like to know how I would like for you to respond? No. Stay out of it. When the coffee's over, we'll talk. You know what I'm talking about. And the Lord's like, let me be your vindication. Let me, the recompense belongs to the Lord, David said. The, the, the revenge is not yours. You know why? Because you're not the judge and you are not called to be your own defender. Your defender has a name and it's Jesus. And I'm telling you guys, each and every time those situations happen and, and we haven't done it perfectly every time. I mean, who are we to even believe that we've done it even close to perfect? But I'm telling you, there have been times in which it hurt to shut up. And it does. When you've been accused and people have said so many things about you, the tendency is to talk back. But the Bible says, don't talk back. Jesus on trial. Don't you have something to say? Are these things true? Nothing. No response. If, if you would just say something, I could save your life. But no, he, he never, like, like, a, like a, a sheep led to slaughter, stayed silent. And Jesus teaches us how to respond to accusations that are absolutely false. Instead of saying, hey, that guy's lying. This guy's terrible. That person is, is, is the worst. She's toxic. Oh, you, let me tell you about the sin in your life. Nope. Quiet. Because when we choose to stay silent in the midst of accusation, it releases the Lord to fight your battles for you. It releases the Lord. He's the judge, not you. Revenge belongs to him, not you. Recompense belongs to him, not you. Be quiet and let God fight for you. And I can tell you guys that each and every time that, that, that has happened and we've chosen to be quiet, you know what's happened? Not in three months. Not in six months, not in nine. Sometimes it's been years. But people that were on the fringes of those situations have come back and said, man, you know what? I'm sorry. Because I believed it. But you know what? I've watched you. And Jesus said, wisdom shall be justified by her children. You know what that means? If you'll watch people long enough, you'll figure out who is moving in wisdom. What's the byproduct of the way they live their life? What's the offspring of the way that they live their life. If the decisions that they've made are actually wise, we'll know in due time. If the decisions that they've made are not wise, we'll know in due time. But you be careful judging people and getting judgy. Just let things play out a little bit. And we're going to see who's talking, talking, talking. And we're going to see who's actually operating in grace and spiritual power. Be quiet. You don't have to say anything when people attack you. In fact, I want us to begin to practice being Quiet. Don't return judgment for judgment. And in general, just don't be a judgy person. How about that? Just can we stop being judgy people? <laughs> stop putting people in boxes. Stop classifying them. Stop telling them about how terrible they are. Stop formulating opinions that are not God's. Right? Because you could be a person of God and you'd be like, I know exactly what needs to go down. I'll tell you what they need to do. I'll tell you where they need to go. I'll tell you what they need to say. They don't need to do that. They got that wrong. They ain't doing this right. And you remember whenever in, in Luke, whenever uh, the disciples who were following Jesus were so convinced that they had the authority and that they had the right ability to call down judgment upon people. Verse 30, uh, 54 in, in chapter 9, Lord, 
We're holy. We're righteous. We know what's going on. We're leaders in the church. Let's call down fire. Let's smoke them. <laughs> Roasted. You know what I'm saying? Right? Apply this. Apply this to your life. Whenever you have a tendency and temptation to just smoke people, I'm talking about you're going to go cold-blooded on them. Here's what Jesus had to say in verse 55. But Jesus turned and he rebuked them. He said, listen, if you're going to call down judgment upon people, you don't know what spirit you're of. (laughs) Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, uh, stop being judgy. Stop being judgy. Yep, that, that hit home for somebody. I can tell right now. I, I, Holy Spirit's moving in the house. That hit home for somebody right now. I see it. There's some marriages that are being restored right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. There's some friendships, some people coming back together here this morning. In the name of the Lord, just stop being judgy. Listen, a leader, a kingdom leader invites conversations. They do not create arguments. When you're always right, Nobody can have a conversation with you. Everybody who talks to you has to have an argument because you've already set your perspective up as both true and right. And it's not humble. It is judgy. And it's not the way Paul moved as a father to people he was serving. We have to change that, guys. All right. Last point. All right. So as we read, you guys probably noticed that we started with Paul's heart. We got to Paul's humanity. You know, when he was doing, huh, oh, you the best, huh, oh, so you don't need a pastor, huh, right? He got a little sarcastic. He finishes with his heart, though, so we're going to finish with this, okay? He finishes with his heart, which I think is a good way for anybody in here, if you need to bring correction to somebody, it's best served as a heart sandwich. Heart sandwich, you know what I'm saying? Like cut the bread. Uh, you, know what, you know what I mean? Like a heart sandwich. Like give them the heart up front. Hey, I love you. Hey, I'm a servant. Hey, I'm a steward. Hey, I'm for you, right? But you, you acting up, bro. Yeah. Let me pull it together, bro. Yeah. Right? But let me, let me come back and say, hey, look, look, I'm your father. Yeah. I, look, I, I don't even judge myself. I could be wrong. Yeah. You see here how Paul's doing confrontation? Yeah. This is how we're supposed to respond to accusation. Not, I'm the man of God. Obviously, I'm right all the time. You need to sit down and be quiet. You need to be rebuked. You guys learn anything from this? I'm learning something from this. And so um, let's go on verse 14 and 15. This could be the final point. It, you can play, bro. I, th- I think it's a good time. I've, I've, I've had you guys too long already, I think. Verse 14 and 15, this is Paul's heart again. He says, I, I don't write these things to you to shame you guys. But I admonish you, how? As my beloved children. Notice, Paul takes responsibility for his accusers. That's a different kind of love right there. These guys have accused me? I'm going to take responsibility for their well-being as a father, as somebody who loves them? For though you have countless gods in Christ, you do not have many fathers. I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul's diving deeper into his heart. And he is saying, my accusers are my sons. My betrayers are my daughters. I'm not shutting my heart down. I'm not turning my love off. I'm not turning my back on my betrayers because they're my sons and they are my daughters. Of course we see Paul's humanity in this passage. He gets emotional as any good father would. Right? He cares deeply. Because despite the accusations, despite the gossip, Paul still has love for his naysayers. He finds compassion for them. And this is point four. And this is the hardest one, I think. Receive God's compassion for your accusers. Receive God's compassion for your accusers. I want you to notice that I'm not saying work up compassion for your accusers. Notice I'm not saying stir up compassion. Uh, Get excited enough to pretend like you care. Uh, You know, pretend to be holy and righteous and do your best. I'm talking about go to a place of prayer and sit at the feet of Jesus 
and receive the compassion that God has for your accusers so that you can have the same compassion that God has for those people. Do that. Receive God's compassion. Now, I realize that for Paul, he's saying, you're my kids, and so this approach might work really well for people that you know, but what about people that you don't know? Right? It's one thing. You can have compassion for your kids when they turn their back on you. What about anonymous people? What about people you've never met? What about people online? How do you receive God's compassion for them? You have to remember that even though you might not know them, God knows them. And God loves them. And God wants them saved. And I think about Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And when he releases that word of compassion, the very next um, part here is they start gambling for his clothes. Listen, if Jesus could call upon God for his compassion to people who were actively murdering him, you too can call upon God for his compassion for those who are accusing you. And this is where we need to end today, guys. I want you to stand up because we're going to pray. And as we pray, I want to remind you of something that the Bible says here at the end. Um, Let's pull up verse 19 and 20 just real quick. Let's look at this together. Um, I'll come to you soon if the Lord wills. Find out not the talk, the arrogance. Uh, But I'm going to find out their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. At the cross, we witness the best picture of power in all of creation. Forgiveness. We have to get this. All of history hinges on the cross where God chose to forgive the whole world. Power looks like many things. But I would say that nothing is more powerful than forgiveness. Now, I know as charismatics, when we read this passage of Scripture, we're like, it's not about talking and ideas and concepts and philosophies and theology and sermons and keynotes and talky, talk, talk, but it's about dunamis power, praise God. It's about laying hands on the sick and watching them recover. It's about raising the dead and talking in tongues and prophesying. This is what power is about. That's what we do as Pentecostals. We, we read this scripture one way and it's like, hey, it ain't about the sermon, man. It ain't about the presentation, bless God. It's about the demonstration, hallelujah. And I love that about us because I have preached it that way for a very long time, but I just feel like there's something embedded within this letter here that Paul's giving us where he's talking about how he's going about speaking and responding to his accusers. And when he's finished with this chapter, he's like, hey, look, this whole thing we're doing here, guys, this is not about talking. This is about power. And power is about more than healing the sick. Power is about the salvation of people. Power is about the healing of people's emotions and the restoring of people's relationships. And it's about sanctification. And it's about continued holiness. And it's about good character. And it's about me becoming more like Jesus, not Jesus becoming more like me. This is not just about me having a a big ministry or a profitable ministry or a well-known ministry. It's about me having an actual, real Jesus ministry that washes smelly feet, that forgives Judas's, that hangs up high, gets stretched out wide, gets cut for others and says, hey, forgive them. They're wounding me. They're talking bad about me. They're accusing me, but they don't actually know what they're doing. Forgive them. That is power. That is power. We can't relegate ministry power to preaching on a stage. Power looks like forgiving your mother. We can't, oh man, power is when we we pray for somebody and it's awesome and it shakes the place. Power looks like forgiving your husband. Come on, this is the right way to end this, guys. Power 
looks like forgiving your accuser. Power looks like forgiving the person that assaulted you. Power looks like forgiving the person that, that gossiped about you. Power looks like forgiving the person that beat you up physically. Now, I, I know it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But God says, this is what's required. If you're going to follow me, you're going to turn the other cheek. If you're going to follow me, you're going to forgive. If you're going to follow me, and somebody says, give me your shirt, you give me your jacket too. If you're going to follow me, and somebody says, walk with me a while, carry my pack unjustly, oppressively, I'm going to walk too. That, that's Jesus. That's Matthew 5. That's the Gospels. That's Jesus saying, hey, if you don't have any sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. That's Jesus. That's power. We can't forget this, Pentecostals. Power is not just about preaching a good word. Power is about having a forgiving spirit. Power is about letting go, letting God take care of stuff. So here's what I want you to do, please, as we're closing. It's just, I, I, I want you to uh, just close your eyes and maybe bow your head for a moment. And, and just let the Holy Spirit search your heart for a minute. Let's deal with some unforgiveness right quick. We're going to get you out of here, but we're going to get you out of here lighter. We're going to get you out of here alleviated from bitterness. You know, I see a picture, and I've never gone through this myself, but like a bone marrow extraction. Man, that thing hurts when it goes in. I've heard stories. They pull that marrow out, right? I feel like that's going to happen to a few people in here this morning with bitterness. I'm talking about seeds of unforgiveness that you've let take root and they've become a stronghold in your life and they have people's names attached to them. I see the hand of the Lord just extracting those things out of you today. Some of you even physically, you're going to feel different physically. You're going to feel lighter. Maybe even some of you, there's going to be muscle tension that's going to be alleviated when this thing happens and you let go. And so what I want you to do is I just want you to ask the Holy Spirit. It, it could be a name. It could be a couple of names. But whoever it is that has hurt you, beat on you, wounded you, talked bad about you, lied against you. A parent put you in the room, left you, abandoned you. Whatever it is. A boyfriend, a girlfriend. Somebody assaulted you. I know it doesn't make sense, but this is the way that God dealt with his enemies. He's the judge. So what I want you to do is, I, with, your, with your eyes closed, your head bowed, uh, I want you to have that name. It could be a couple people's names. Now, I just want to invite you, use your holy imagination for a moment. See Jesus coming to you. Watch Jesus walk towards you and hold out his hand as the shepherd. Because he, he guides us, he leads us beside still waters. He makes us to lie down in green pastures. We sang about it today. The good shepherd is here. He's in the room and he's before you right now. Why don't you just take that name, put it in his hand. Release it. And just say out loud, I release this to you, Jesus. I release this person. I release this name. It's not just about a name, but it's about an attachment. It's about a hold that the enemies had on you as a result of you holding on to this unforgiveness so much so that it's become it's become like a sickness in you it's become a sickness in your bones and David talked about his bones becoming fragile brittle it's weeping there's been some of you in here you've been hurt like that and you've not known where to turn the good shepherd is here. And just, just give him, give him uh, these people, give the names and just say, I release it. Just say, I forgive and then insert their name. I forgive them. Listen, you may need to do this every single day for the next six weeks. I don't know. You might need to do this every single day for the next year. But know this is that Jesus came so that you may have life and life abundantly. Jesus came not to put a heavy burden on you, but to take every yoke and every burden 
off of you that he did not intend for you to carry. And unforgiveness is something he has not intended for you to carry. He's dealt with it on the cross. You are safe. You can let it go. For some of us, it may seem as though being a victim uh, has become part of our identity. Let's deal with that too. You are not the worst thing that has ever happened to you. You are defined by the best thing that God's ever done for you, which is Jesus on the cross. You are not what has happened to you. You are what has happened for you, which is Jesus on the cross. That's how valuable you are. That's how sacred you are. Thanks for tuning into the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.